0: Today's reading comes from Acts uh, chapter 13 verses 38 to 52 and it begins on page 1716. Therefore my brothers, I want you to know that through Jesus the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Through him everyone who believes is justified from everything you could not be justified from by the law of Moses. Take care that what the prophets have said does not happen to you. Look, you scoffers, wonder and perish, for I am going to do something in your days that you would never believe, even if someone told you. As Paul and Barnabas were leaving the synagogue, the people invited them to speak further about these things on the next Sabbath. When the congregation was dismissed, many of the Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who talked with them and urged them to continue in the grace of God. On the next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. When the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and talked abusively against what Paul was saying. Then Paul and Barnabas answered them boldly, We had to speak the word of God to you first. Since you reject it and do not consider yourselves worthy of eternal life, we now turn to the Gentiles. For this is what the Lord has commanded us. I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. When the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and honored the word of the Lord and all who were appointed for eternal life believed. The word of the Lord spread through the whole region. But the Jews incited the God-fearing women of high standing and the leading men of the city. They stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them from the region. So they shook the dust from their feet in protest against them and went to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit." This is God's word.
1: Thanks Brian. We are continuing in our series through Acts, this section of Acts where the gospel's going out, the words being proclaimed, people are being transformed by the work of Jesus. And the challenge for us is uh, just how do we understand what's going on for them back then and how does, what does that mean for us today? Uh, which I think is a very exciting tension and lesson for us today. So I'm going to pray that God will help reveal himself today so we can understand how he works and how we are to live for him. Let's pray. Dear Father, thanks for this glorious morning that we can meet together. Thanks for the air conditioning. And thanks for your word and your promise that you meet with us when we pull it out. Lord, we just pray that you would help us to understand uh, you and how to live for you. That we know how to proclaim you and to do it well, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the great questions in life, which is also one one of the first words kids learn, is the question, why? But why? I just want to know why. And I'm not sure whether your kids have gone through this uh, process or game, some people might call it, but why, why does this happen, but why? And when you explain that, it's why the next thing. Even, I don't even think they're interested in the answer because they already got the next question why before you've finished explaining your answer. I think they're asking the question why because they just want to know, do you know? Well, I don't need to know the answer, I just want to know that you know the answer. So there's this question why. And it's a good question to ask, which is a question I think we often grow out of as we get older. We just take things, this is just how it is, rather than asking why. And this time of year, for many churches and for many organisations, as they're looking to next year and talking about vision and where we want to be in the coming 12 months or beyond, it's a question that's often forgotten, is why? Vision is all talking about the details of uh, what we want it to be and maybe how we're going to do it. But the question, why? Why do we even do it? So for Southside, we've had a mission statement for a while. We call it the 1% mission, that we want to pray and work towards that God would use us to reach 1% of our community with the message of Jesus, so that we would impact 1%. 100,000 people, uh, that would mean. uh, 100,000 people live within 5 kilometers of us here. It's a high-density place. God would use us to reach 1%, 1 1,000 people. The good thing about having a vision statement like that is it puts things on the radar. We want God to work with us. We're going to do it together uh, to reach those people. We want to be a church that proclaims Jesus and reaches our community and does it in a substantial way. We'd want to see a lot of people come to know uh, who Jesus is and trust in him. The downside of having a vision statement like that is the why question. So why do you want to be a church like that? Is it just because you want to be a big church? Now, I'm not sure what's so glamorous about being a big church when you see all the the work that's involved, but why do you want to be a big church like that? And there's speculation to why. But as we read this passage, if we're going to do a vision talk, which is in the providence of God that this has come up this time of year, that it does answer the question, why? Why do we do what we do? Why do we aim to do what we're doing, the 1% mission? Why, why would we want to do that? In this passage that we see uh, Paul and the other apostles, the other helpers that he's got reaching out, gives us the direction in the heart that we should have and the understanding and the desire and the actions that we should have as well. And what we've seen so far is uh this is a bit of a quick run through of acts we started it a bit last year and a bit uh this term is acts 2 we see the people jesus has ascended into heaven the holy spirit comes on the believers now this would be great for the holy spirit to first come god is entering your life he's revealing himself in actually coming into your life now this would be great to just go well we've made it We've heard the message of Jesus. We believe. And now we receive the Holy Spirit. We're His children. We're God's children. So we can be content now. We don't have to do anything at all. But straight away, the Holy Spirit's revealing itself on its agenda, sends Peter to go and preach. First ever sermon proclaiming Jesus as Lord through His death and resurrection. First ever sermon that Peter preaches about that. 3,000 people believe. So if their ambition was to plant a church and maybe grow a church, you've got 3,000 people overnight. And surely they'd be thinking, we've made it now. Now let's slow down. Let's just work on this church and what's going on here. But then we get to the following chapters. Peter goes out to preach again. You know what happens the next time he preaches? He gets arrested. Actually, he gets let out on bail with the condition, you do this again and we will kill you. So now he's got a criminal record and a target on his back if he preaches about Jesus. But then the church grows to 5,000 people. And you go, fantastic, this church is going great guns. This is a church we want to be. But then you don't have to read too far into that to realize they're full of turmoil and trouble and infighting and neglect. They're, they're turning on the, the, the um, apostles, going, well, look we're not receiving any pastoral care you need to be looking after us better so already a big church is having problems you know why do we bother why is this what we really wanted stephen one of the helpers goes out preaches his first sermon that's recorded what happens to him he gets stoned to death and i don't mean like in the corner getting stoned to death he gets stoned to death he gets killed for preaching jesus Christians are then hunted from house to house. It's so bad, the persecution, that many have to leave Jerusalem, leave that area, and flee with their families to save their lives. Is it worth it? Philip then gets sent by the Holy Spirit, meeting a whole bunch of different people, telling them about Jesus they believe. Paul, who's the main guy persecuting the church, gets a vision of Jesus, sees what Jesus is all about. He becomes a preacher now because he believes. Peter, another apostle, goes to the Gentiles. They're the guys the other side of town that you don't want to deal with to tell them about Jesus. Some of them believe. All in the meantime, there's these Jews that they're hating you. They want you dead. The kings hate you. Last week we looked at Herod and now Herod uh, was opposed to Christians and he publicly killed James and then tried to publicly kill Peter as well. Fortunately, the angel uh, it helped him escape from that situation we get to the end of 14 after the bit we're just looking now Paul's gone to another city proclaiming Jesus and they reject him one at first they think he's God because he's uh, doing these miracles they think he's God he said no no I'm not God so then they decide to stone him to death they actually think he's dead so they drag him out of town so his body won't rot inside the town he's good as dead because they think he's dead but then the very next day, you know what he's doing? He not only survived, but he's walking to the next town to proclaim Jesus again. And you've got to ask, why are these guys doing this? Surely I don't need that sort of hassle in my life, that they, they're the same as us. They've had Jesus revealed to them in amazing ways, but they've still got to go, do I need this in my life? Why would I do this? Why? Jesus caused them to go and make disciples, but then but there's something more to it than that that they would give up their whole life to be a life on mission telling people about Jesus. And it's the same reason that we should have in our hearts today. So we need to dig a bit deeper. I'm going to tell you why they did it because there's this thing that might be described as this discontented contentment. They're discontented while at the same time they're content, they find contentment. I know it's oxymoron, but it's holding it together. On the one hand, we're not happy, but on the other hand, we can rest in peace. How does this play out? We had it sort of pulled together in that bit we had read for us. It was sort of the tail end of a sermon and what happened at the end of that uh, in chapter 13. But Paul's there preaching. He's preaching to Jews and God-fearing Gentiles, they're called. So people who are interested in God and want to follow God. But then Paul uh, uh, describes how God's plan for Israel was to to put them on this journey, to bring them towards a saviour, that God was going to reveal himself, to give them a king and a lord and a messiah in Jesus, that God was actually going to come to earth himself to fix up their brokenness, to fix up their messiness. But then in that sermon, he says, but the Jews, God's people, they killed him. They nailed him to a cross, dead, dead. But in doing so, that didn't surprise God. In fact, it was a part of God's plan because it was God's plan uh, that Jesus would die the death that they deserved. They deserve punishment, but Jesus, God's son, is going to take that punishment for them. And he says, he shows, it talks about the evidence. Jesus rose from the dead. In fact, we all saw him. We ate with him. And because he's raised, risen from the grave, we can see that he truly was God. He truly does forgive sins, and then he gets to the summary, pulling his sermon together, where he says, "Therefore, in verse thirty-eight, where we started, uh, started our reading, how he's going to pull it together." And you've got to kind of imagine: how would you, if you were proclaiming Jesus to a bunch of people who knew Old Testament history, how would you pull that together? You guys are a part of the the crowd who killed Jesus. But you couldn't kill him because he rose from the dead. But he's offering you forgiveness. So would you put it out there? It's like, you guys need to repent. You guys need to turn around because you've done some bad things. He's got every right to put the word on him, hasn't he? You guys are rejecting, rejecting, rejecting God. But now's the time. You need to turn or rot in hell, is what he could say. But have a look at verse 38 where he says, Therefore, my brothers... I want you to know that through Jesus the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. What well, you really feel the tone of what he's saying here is he's, he's amongst a crowd of people similar to us and he goes, my brothers, there there is this connection, this concern. he's a fellow Jew, but he's he's discovered Jesus now he's a Christian, but he still calls them my brothers in compassion. I want you to know. So like I'm not just going to put the word out there and run away. I really, want you to know this that through Jesus the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. you have the message of Jesus the message of forgiveness before you now I want you to know that he goes on to say through him everyone who believes is justified from everything you could not be justified from by the law of Moses see Paul's heart is for people who don't know Jesus or particularly for people who put their trust in other things than Jesus. The, this Jewish synagogue of putting their trust uh, in the law of Moses, that that could justify them, that could make them worthy of heaven, worthy of the kingdom of God. He's going, no, 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 that can't justify you. It's actually showing you you can't do it, that you need Jesus. And it's there for you. Brothers, I want you to know this, that everyone who believes is justified. There is this sense of discontentment, isn't there? That Paul's not happy that the people are lost and broken and they don't know Jesus. He's not. He's heartbroken because they don't know Jesus. That people are missing out on life through Jesus. He goes on to say in verse 40, another appeal. He says, take care that what the prophets have said does not happen to you. Take care, he says. Don't let this happen. What do they say? Look, you scoffers, wonder and perish, for I'm going to do something in your days that you would never believe, even if someone told you. It says, don't turn your back on Jesus, because you will perish. God's done this amazing thing through Jesus. He's come to earth, uh, restored humanity in a healing sort of way, but then he restores humanity in a spiritual way by dying for their sins. God's done this amazing thing. It, it's almost unbelievable, but I'm saying believe it or you'll perish jesus is there for you this discontentment that his friends his brothers are missing out on true life and that breaks our heart too doesn't it when we get the message of life and people around us just don't believe and in doing so they're choosing death It's almost like you might have heard the story about the lifesaver who's there on the beach and he's watching his crowd of people swimming between the flags. This rip comes along and starts pulling people along the beach and soon they're going to be dragged out into the ocean. So he grabs his surfboard and swims out to try and save as many as he can. He's telling them, come on, the rip's taking you. Jump on board so I can save you. I can bring you back into shore and I'll save you. And what do the people say? Oh, no, we're fine, thanks. We're all right. In fact, some people got angry at him for coming out trying to rescue them. You probably haven't heard the story because I've never heard it either. It doesn't happen. People, when they realise they need rescuing, they grab on the board and they'll be rescued. But what's happening here is Paul's going out. So you need rescuing. The rip's taking you. You're travelling on to death. You need Jesus. Cling on to Jesus and you'll have life. And they're giving him this response of, but we're all right. We don't need you. And some are getting angry at him. And he's, he's breaking Paul's heart that, he's li- that this is all happening. See, Paul almost can't believe it. The Jews are getting angry and they're abusing him. They're trying to chase him out of town. You can't be talking about Jesus around here. And then he says in verse 46, Since you reject it and do not consider yourselves worthy of eternal life, we now turn to the Gentiles. He says you're rejecting it. And we, by rejecting Jesus, you're rejecting life. But the mission field's still there. We've got to go out and tell the news to more and more. He's saying no to Jesus, saying no to life. Life eternal, life now. He says it's not complicated. Jesus equals life. But see, you know, if you've tried to share the gospel with someone and you've got somebody in mind i'd really love to see them a part of the kingdom of god i'd love to see them a part of god's family to know the truth that we know about jesus so what do we often do is we try and create a comfortable and safe relationship that we can have those conversations without being threatening we often pray to god that god that you would change the heart of this person god that you would even give me the right words to say and then we'd Possibly even go over the conversation once, twice, a hundred times in our head. What happens if they ask this? What happens if they ask that? And we try and practice the words in our head. And we're, we're invested in that person because we ultimately we care for that person. We love that person. So when they say no, not interested, oh, I'm right, thank you very much, or in whatever way they say it, it hurts. It brings a sense of discontent, doesn't it? So I know you need Jesus to have life. But you just can't see it yet. You need it. So it actually, in a genuine concern, when we truly love people, we genuinely want to see them a part of the kingdom. And we share in this discontentment. We share in this hurt. But what Paul's talking to is a select group, a part of this, this city, some Jews and the, some of the Bible, uh, the God-fearing Gentiles. And they've rejected it. Well, the, the Jews have rejected it. And Paul's discontent that so many have rejected the message of Jesus Gives Life. And he says in verse 47, uh, we're told what happens. Uh, he, he says to them, For this is what the Lord has commanded us. I have made you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. It's almost like Paul can, his heart goes out to them. He wants them to believe. But he also knows it's a big mission field, big harvest field. That God's saying, look, go to the ends of the earth. Go to your neighbours. Go to the the people in your street that nobody talks to. Go to the, the ends of our community and proclaim Jesus. Because the mission field is so big. Don't get bogged down with those there who are rejecting you. Keep going. Keep proclaiming. And if you've got compassion, any sort of compassion, any sort of understanding of heaven and hell and life and death and eternity... Our heart goes out to people. We want more and more people to hear about Jesus. We want more and more people to believe. We want more and more people in the kingdom of God are part of the family. That's what's driving Paul. That should be what's driving us. That we're discontent with doing nothing. We're discontent with seeing our community just drifting away with the tide. It's heading towards death and destruction. Now there's heaps of opportunities for us To be active in that to be proclaiming jesus you know we have this amazing kids ministry great opportunity so many kids in this church that we want to raise as little disciples of jesus we need to be telling them about jesus that's a mission field in itself the youth that meets on sunday afternoons going great guns where where over half the youth that go to that aren't from christian households and many of those kids are becoming christians through the witness there at youth English for Life, now doing Bible studies. Great opportunity for people all over the world who've come to Australia hearing the message of Jesus for the first time. That we've got an opportunity to do that. We've also got good relationships with some of the schools around here, opportunity in the technology park, where our new building is in the future. We've got lots of opportunities in our community of what's going on as a church, let alone us as individuals with our friends and our family. See, there's lots of opportunities. Lots of people... Uh, Heading towards destruction. And for some of us, this is really close to home, even in our own congregation. When it comes to our husbands or wives, if they're not believing, or our kids not believing, the people around us, close to us, not believing. It's really hard for us. And I think the message here is don't be content with, oh, well, that's their choice. Be discontent that they're not going to make eternity without Jesus. Let it stir us up let us be troubled with that and look for the opportunities and pray to god about that pray that god will do something we are meant to feel the weight of discontentment there is no time to rest no time for distractions the people need to hear about jesus this is this discontentment we need to grab firmly with one hand We're we're discontent with a world that's rejected god but at the same time we don't have to be crushed by that weight because with the other hand we can find contentment. We can find peace. We can sleep at night. And we see the way Paul deals with this to know the way we can deal with it as well. We see it in verse 48. So we're following the story along and we're told a bit of narrative. When the Gentiles heard Paul's message and they heard this, they were glad and honoured the word of the Lord. So you can see the harvest field was there. Paul proclaims the message. Some reject, but some have believed. Some have come into the kingdom. But what he says next is super insightful. Uh, So when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and honoured the word of the Lord. All who were appointed for eternal life believed. All who were appointed for eternal life believed. See, because we've got a big God, the big God who at the time of creation of the universe, he knows us back then. When we're in our mother's womb we're told he knows us personally intimately he reveals himself to us through his holy spirit the only way we can see god clearly is when he gives us his spirit he opens our eyes and our ears and our heart so we can see who god really is a big god does that if you've got a little god this idea of evangelism idea of seeing people coming to the kingdom is a heavy burden we need to work harder we need to tell our neighbors we come like the Mormons and the Jehovah's Witness, we need to get out in the streets because it all depends on us to see people be saved because our little God can't do it. But Paul's going, I've got a big God. He's so big, he actually chooses us into the kingdom. He calls us into the kingdom. He's the one that bears the burden. He's the one that carries the load. And we see Jesus saves the lives. We can't do that. We can't save people ourselves. Sometimes we need to be reminded of that because it is close to home, that we want so much for our loved ones to know Jesus, that it burdens us so much it, it stifles our own faith. But we are not Jesus. That's where we need to pray and pray with a real concern for people, for the lost, not that, you know, we need a big church, we need them, more people in our growth group, things like that, but we want people in the kingdom and they're not going into the kingdom without jesus we need to pray that god our big god be at work like the persistent widow that doesn't give up just keeps coming back god i have a real desire a real heart for them to see them coming into the kingdom of god god call them into your kin make them one of your children pray that way because we've got a big god and if we're lucky god will use us in the process that we might even pray, God, use me in the conversation, use me as a witness, use me to point them to Jesus. And God might do that, which will be a very exciting part of the journey. But how does this work out for Paul? How does he have this one hand on this discontentment that people keep refusing Jesus, but yet contentment and peace? How does he hold that together? Because we see as he leaves the city, uh, we get a summary verse of uh, verses 51 and 52. He says, uh, Paul and his helpers. So they shook the dust of their feet in protest against them and went to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. So on the one hand, he's shaking the dust off his feet. That's actually a symbolic thing they used to do in that day. Uh, it's a little bit like Sodom and Gomorrah. Look, your city is going to face judgment, and I don't want any part of your city, and I don't want to bring any of your, part of your city with me on my journey. I to wipe my feet and leave your city behind because they are facing judgment. It's actually a bit offensive. But Paul's saying, look, you've made your decision to reject Jesus to, to, to the, the Jews who were there. You know, wipe the dust of their feet and protest against A discontentment. I'm I'm disappointed, I'm not happy that you've done that. But on the other hand, the very next verse, and the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. How can you be so shattered that you've been actually abused and chased out of the city? But yet you're leaving the city filled with joy in the Holy Spirit. Because they're reflecting on what God has done. He saved people there. They're on their way to Iconium, a new city, a new mission field, a new harvest field where we can proclaim Jesus. We're full of joy that God's using us in his work here, that God is in control. That's what it says to me. We're so at peace that God is in control, disappointed that they turn against him. But God is still using us, still touching people's hearts. Even though they're rejected, this is not the end. They go on their journey. So when we have a right understanding of heaven and hell and eternity, life and death through Jesus, it just changes perspective, doesn't it? Their perspective, it should change our perspective as well. That we that we're discontent with a world that's broken. And we see recent events, how broken our world is. What we prayed for just recently is a great example. The list could go on and on how broken our world is, but yet it's just caught in the tide. It's going to be more broken because they're headed towards destruction, eternal destruction. We're discontent with that. But at the same time, we can rest. We can be content because we know our God's a mighty God, mighty to save. He's also a compassionate God that reaches out to the lost and the lonely. And he can make anything happen. But we need to be ready. We need to be ready. When the spirit moves, we need to be ready for God to use us to reach our community. That's what we need to do. This is kind of like what we do, what we do. When we talk about vision, we talk about this is where we want to be. But without the why, just raise a whole bunch of questions. The why is we're living in a lost and broken community. A community that we cannot be content to see them drifting off to destruction. But we can also have confidence and contentment. We've got a mighty God to do that. This is the why we talk about we want to reach 1%. We want to see many people come into the kingdom because of reality of heaven and hell. So when we say the 1% mission, we're driven by the love we have for the lost. Do we love our city like that? We should love our city. And when we love our city, then we go, we want to see our city into the kingdom. So when we get 1%, of course we're going to talk about 2%, 5%, 10%. We're going to talk about more and more because we want more people to come into the kingdom. When we say 1,000 people, it's not about us being a big church, but we want lots of people saved. And we think this is the best way that God can use us. It's funny that we're talking about and we're setting ourselves up with our new facilities uh, to do ministry on a bigger scale, as better resource to reach more people, is our plan. But in the process of doing this, we're so not driven by our vision and our mission. That's all about us. That we've also been involved with planning a church at Sunnybank with Mikey. That's going great guns. We've also been involved in revitalising a church at Logan, sending a whole bunch of people down there. It's not about us. It's about people coming into the kingdom. We're so discontent, but we're also content but we also need to be available. How do we do that? How? So sort of the vision to reach out, the why we're doing it, the heart of discontentment, yet contentment. But now we need to look at how. How are we looking at, achieving what we're talking about achieving because we know a church our size and a church like us has got some strengths and weaknesses and that was a part of the idea of doing a survey last week of just identifying our strengths and weaknesses and how to do things better but one of the obvious things i think for us is knowing that we what we don't do great is seeing somebody come from the outside somebody who doesn't know jesus they're not a part of a church how do we take an outsider through to to seeing our community being a part of our community hearing about jesus believing in jesus but not only becoming a disciple, growing as a disciple, so they're now telling others about Jesus. So from, there's this journey from start to finish. We don't do that that well. When you're smaller and things happen organically and naturally and through relationships as we get bigger, relationships are a bit harder, we need more structure. It's, there's a term that uh, many churches use, uh, the trellis and the vine. I'm not sure whether you've heard of it, but a summary is, uh, you go to an orchard and you see... Uh, you know, like a vineyard, sorry, a winemaking vineyard. And you look at the rows of vines and you go, man, they're impressive vines. And you see the big green leaves, the vines, the branches that go out and off them, hang off them, the bunches of grapes, you go, man, that guy knows how to grow his grapes. It looks fantastic. But you know what the, the grape vine would look like without the trellis? But just, the vines just go on the ground, the fruit rots on the ground, it's, it's just bad. Nobody knows the trellis, but the trellis is really important. Before the vine's even planted in the ground, the farmer's building a nice, strong trellis. Well designed. It's got to look good to support the vine, to have good fruit. The same principles apply in churches. We look at churches and go, wow, they're good and they're healthy. You know, the leaves are growing the fruit. Um, this looks great. But what people don't see, what they don't often see, is there's a trellis behind. The trellis allows the ministries to work. The organisation, right people in right places, helps the ministry to happen. So we might look at the surface, we need lots of healthy, strong ministries, but what we need is some structure and organisation behind it to hold it up and to allow it to happen. And this is something we've been thinking through, Benny and I and the elders, uh, this last 12 months or so. Uh, And we've been talking about a few people Something, a model of church called the five M's. And when we talk model, we're talking about the trellis. So it's it's structure stuff. Uh, I hope we've got, we spent a lot of time on a gospel foundation. Structure stuff is kind of boring in comparison to that. But it's just detail. I want you to know that we're working on things, particularly when more opportunities open up, when we get into the new building, when we look for other opportunities to do ministry. They're, they're, we've got this trellis uh, with everybody chipping in, helping. This is called the five M's and we looked at one last week in magnification. Uh, So magnification and you sort of see it along this journey like we described the journey of that person coming to, to be a growing disciple. Magnification, so knowing Jesus is truly Lord, Lord over all of our lives. That underpins everything we do. Then there's mission, reaching the outsider. Membership, helping people become part of our community. Maturity, hearing about Jesus and growing in Jesus. Uh, and ministry so when you get to the point of going yeah i want to be a part of things in serving and helping people know jesus it's just five m's you do a whole bunch of different words five m's just kind of easy you don't need to know this stuff and how this works but i want you to know that we'll be talking about it more and just know look there's this 5m thing in the background and we're invited to be a part of it because how this works in in a smaller church where the ministry people are kind of generalists. You've got somebody who's uh, keen to do ministry and keen to time. They do a bit of everything. But what this stars is saying, we need to focus, somebody needs to focus on how we do mission. It's not their job. They're not our missionary. But so How do we do mission? And they're going to bring the rest of the church along with them. How do we do membership? How do we make people uh, feel comfortable a part of our community? Let's have some people just really thinking about this, really working on this, and help us as a church, do membership better? Same with maturity, with growing, ministry and serving. How do we just get people thinking about this? And it invites a whole lot of people to take on new roles, new leadership positions, and just thinking, we can do this better by, by divvying up some roles be better. The, the whole um, priesthood of all believers type thing, we can all be a part of this. A couple of things I like about this is that uh, we're looking at doing being more effective. So we get a lot of people through our doors, a lot of visitors. How can we be more effective in seeing them become disciples and grow as disciples? Working towards that. It's also inviting more people to be involved in ministry. So if you've been around for a little while, you might be on a morning tea roster or something that's just on the fringe, how can I be a part of what's going on here to reach my community? There's opportunities here for me to serve that that we'll be talking more about that later. Uh, Particularly Um, It's going to be a lot of natural opportunities with new buildings, the way we do things. An example of this is um, how we work together is, I think a classic example is our morning teas. If you're on a morning tea roster, let's ask the question, why? Why do we have morning teas? Do we want people just to walk away with feeling, that was awesome, I had my sugar hit and I'm really feeling good, uh, ready to go home. Like is that the purpose of morning tea? But when we look at the five M's go, how does that fit in our what we're trying to do here as a church? That if it's a part of, say, membership, that is helping people um, hang around longer after church? Church is great. Our time here, really love it. But the time over a cuppa afterwards is awesome as well, where you can catch up with people, meet people, introduce yourself to new people. That's a time of the week you're not ever going to see again during the week. It's, a, it's an hour or hour and a half or whatever you hang around. In fact, good food enables you to hang around longer. It invites you to hang around longer, have better conversations. So food then becomes a really important ministry. It's not just I'm on the roster, but I'm actually contributing to the life of our church, helping newcomers come in and to do that. And we do that in teams, so we encourage each other while we're doing it, so we know that we're doing this as a church. The other thing I like about this is sometimes for a lot of us it's really hard to see that discontentment i want people to know jesus think it's all about me telling my friends about jesus but through this it's the church is on a journey the church is on mission together i want to plug my friend into what's going on with church and and be a part of the community and hear about jesus it's not all about me taking the load so there's lots of adventure. we're going this way, 5Ms. We're going to invite you guys to be a part of it in the following weeks. So we're going to hear a bit more about it in our preaching. But we looked at uh, magnification last week. We've got to have Jesus Lord. looked at um, mission this week, having a heart for the lost and wanting to see us reach uh, many, many people for the kingdom of God. And I think God can do it. So I've spoken to a few people uh, outside of our church t- t- telling them about our 1% mission, 1,000 people. and They're like, do you really believe that's going to happen? It's going well, I don't know. I'm not going to lose sleep over it. it. might not happen in my, my lifetime. That's okay. There's no time frame on this. But what I do know is about 10 years ago, we are about 20 people meeting in an old house. And now we've got all these families, all these people who are about to move into 450-seat auditorium. It's like in 10 years. You kind of go, well god's doing something in another 10 years nothing is surprising to what he can do as long as we work and pray towards it he'll use us to continue reaching reaching our community so i do believe it i do believe god's going to do it let's pray if as we reflect on who we are as your church and your people as we, re- we reflect on what jesus has done the message of life through him through his death and resurrection That we have life eternal when we trust in him. And Lord, we think of our community that we live in. So many just caught in the tide, caught in the rip, just floating towards destruction. Lord, help us to to get our heads around and appreciate and value the the reality of heaven and hell and eternity, of life and death and Jesus. Lord, help us to have a heart that loves our community, loves so much that we're discontent with seeing our world just drift along, lost. But, Lord, also put on our hearts a real vision of you and how big you are, that you are in control, that you can change all things. You can do 1%, you can do 10%, you can do 50%, you can do 100%. You're the God who can do it, Lord. But, Lord, we're praying to you now that you would use us, use us on that journey. Use us to build your kingdom. We want that excitement. We want that uh, test of our own faith with the Holy Spirit. But Lord, we know we're just your, your instruments. Lord, use your Holy Spirit to glorify. Glorify yourself, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.